What's going on, everybody? This is your favorite host, Marion, for another episode of Real Rock Talk. Today, I have my best buddy back with us. Say hello. Hello. And she is on the Google Hotline today. So hopefully the sound is a lot better than it was the last time she was on. And Tracy, for those who haven't heard that other episode or have forgotten, tell everybody a little about yourself real quick. Okay, I live in Southern California, and I am a counselor for Addiction Treatment Center, and I'm in the process of getting my master's in professional counseling. Awesome. That's pretty much about it. And how is the... Uh, How's the lockdown out there? How's Gavin treating you guys? Oh, well, I'm not a fan, but um, I think that California people do not, they don't stay locked down for long. It, it, you can't really tell. When I go to work every day, there's, still, there's a whole lot of traffic again, and uh, people are at work, and... Um, you know, I mean, the, the people are practicing safety. They're using their, uh, you know, personal safety issues or plans and stuff, and so they're wearing masks. Um, in fact, I went and got my hair cut the other day, and the lady, I had to call before I, before I went in, and they came out and got me, and I was wearing my mask, and she was wearing hers, and they only had two people in there. Instead of having it full, they only had two people. Um, and they didn't, it was a little odd because usually you go in, they wash your hair and then they cut your hair and all of that. And she just did a dry cut, um, didn't wash my hair or anything like that. So I think they're trying to practice some sort of precautions. Um, but everybody, I think pretty much a lot of people are just tired of being locked down and want to get everything back to normal. As normal as possible. Okay. And um, next question was going to be, um, of course, I remember when I got my hair cut, they didn't wash my hair either. And I was a little bit, a little bit disappointed about that because I like to get it rinsed just to, so I didn't have, I don't have to do it when I get home. But so you and I have been talking um, before the show about what's mm -hmm. going on in the country and everything. From a, from a behavioral standpoint, let me ask this. Does COVID-19 have anything to do with what has been going on? Um, that, has it played a role in some of the insanity uh, and the rioting and the protesting? Now, granted, the, the, acts, in, the acts as of themselves um are horrific and we're not going to go into all of that today but has mm -hmm. covid and the lock the shutdowns do you think that that has had any effect on that i do because when you when you when people are locked up or when they're isolated they tend to get cabin fever. I mean, I think anybody would get cabin fever if they have to be locked away for a, a period of time, even if it's self-inflicted, even if you're, you're doing it yourself. 
and you understand the risks of going out and and associating with people and not practicing social distancing and and your regular um, you know protective gear, um, people do tend to get a little bit anxious. So the anxiety kicks in, the depression kicks in, especially if you have uh, previous substance use disorders. Um, that isolation is a huge trigger for people who have addiction. So absolutely, I do think it had it played a part. Okay. So let's ask this. So I'm going to ask this question just for fun because I think this is going to be beneficial for. Um, for for at least um, most people in who watched who listened to this podcast, so there's been this national conversation about police, and I know your son is a is a law enforcement officer, and and I want to thank him for his service. Um, is it a dialogue issue? Is it? I, I know at the I know at the end the national debate is going to be on uh, systemic racism, but it, let me ask it this way: Do you think that it's a national debate as far as um, police interaction with minorities, or is it just a racism debate uh, said in a different way? I think definitely a, a conversation needs to ha take place. We need to have some dialogue, and I think we need to make sure that it's respectful. I think a lot of people want to have that dialogue, but I think for the most part, a lot of people are afraid to even open their mouths and even have that dialogue because they're afraid of offending somebody or being considered a racist. Is that part of the silent majority? Do you... I I guess what I'm going to ask is this. Do you think the silent majority is either afraid to have the conversation, unwilling to have the conversation, or is just unsure where to go with the conversation? I think they're afraid to have the conversation for fear of being labeled a racist. Based on whatever they say that might offend the other person. Nobody wants to offend anybody. Nobody, but we're not sure exactly. I think for the most part, most people are just not, they're not sure what to say in order to get it started. Neil Bortz, who used to have a national syndicated radio show, who was uh, more of a, he, he considered himself more of a libertarian than, uh, than a right winger. And, he used to call this what they called the pussification of America, where you divide and conquer, you make, um, you know, you make women's rights, you got black rights, white rights, Hispanic rights. And by the time it's all said and done, it's just it just breaks everybody down to the point that no one has a leg to stand up mm -hmm. Do for the conversation to even take place. You have to almost consider yourself asking the question as to whether or not there is a problem. So what I'm going to ask is this. How would you start the conversation? Now, from a place of, from a biblical, I would start it from a biblical perspective because God created us all. He created every human being on this planet and every, 
every person on this planet matters. Every single person on this planet matters. Every life matters. Born, unborn children matter. Children matter. Every single person on this planet matters because we were all created in God's image. That's how I would start the conversation, based on the fact that God created each one of us in his image. And yet the funny part about that is every time the words all lives matter is used, people are being attacked for it. As of if, course they are, because it doesn't fit the narrative. Right. It only matters and, at certain and, times. That that That's the way... It, exactly. That was exactly going to be my point, because if... if in, in this situation, Black Lives Matter, and I've heard a lot of different viewpoints on this whole thing, and I've heard a lot of very... Um, uh, Candace Owens had uh, a video that she did talking about Black Lives Matter, talking about where all, uh, where all of this is even coming from, and the fact that if Black Lives Matter, then why aren't they in Chicago when they're with all of the black-on-black crime? Why, doesn't so, why don't those lives matter? Why are they always around when, it's, when it fits their narrative? I agree with you. I, I agree with you there. And, and you know, the, it's really sad to think that 18 people can be killed in 24 hours and neither the, the neither the mayor nor the police chief nor anyone else. You know, when Trump was offering at the beginning of his uh, term to send in the National Guard to help restore order. And everybody made a a had a conniption fit talking about it was literally going to look like a, an armed encampment. If the people of Chicago really, really cared, I would have said, you know what? I'll take that if it keeps me from being shot this weekend. That is the that is as far as I would go with it. My concern is. Is that we're going that I think it's a deeper um, that there is a deeper conspiracy. And, you know, as I tell my wife, this is the time I'm going to put my tenfold hat on. So think of it this way. We're already getting rid of chokeholds, which needed to be done. We're already looking at doing, quote, registries and doing this, that and the other. But what they're really wanting to do is to remake law enforcement as we know it, almost like you're using a European slash English model where the cops on the streets don't carry guns. You know, I heard this mess where they were wanting to send out social service agents and depending on the type of call is who's going to get sent out. Now, I'm, I don't know about you, but if a man is beating his wife down and she calls 911, I don't think two geeks with rimmed glasses showing up with clipboards in their hands are going to be the type of people who's going to defuse a situation with an arranged, a deranged lunatic. I may be wrong, but I don't see it. Well, even, even if... 
they went so far. First off, the social worker, no. They're, they're not going to – it doesn't matter what professional you send out there. You can send a social worker. You can send a therapist. You can send a psychologist or a psychiatrist. You can send any professional you want. But if you have somebody in a violent situation, that person is going to be absolutely of no benefit. And most likely they are going to end up getting hurt or killed themselves. And then what will we will we be doing? Wanting to call the cops. Yeah. Absolutely. You're going to call 911? Well, guess what? You're going to have to be rerouted to someplace because if you get rid of all the cops, who's going to come and take care of you? Who's going to help the person who gets who has somebody break into their house and try to kill them or rape them or something like that who are you going to call who's going to take care of the people and who's going to benefit who's going to who's going to be affected the most so it isn't it is obviously it isn't people that have money who can hire security guards it's the people who can't afford to do that that are going to be affected the most right and I think, I think a lot of times the dialogue has to include the fact that you talked a little bit about the police officers and, and that kind of thing. And, and, and I get what's going on right now. And, and, you know, the death of anybody at the hands of police, they don't want to do that. They don't want to go and they don't get up in a day and say, okay, who can I shoot today? They don't want to do that. That's not what they want to do. They don't want to even get into situations like that. But you got to understand, too, that not every single person on this planet goes up to, um, you know, goes into a home where the woman is screaming and yelling because her baby is just drowned in the pool. And the, and the cops are seeing this, this little baby in the pool and dragging the baby out of the pool and giving them CPR trying to save this baby's life. They don't see the car that, that, that just got into this fatal crash with body parts everywhere. They don't see the guy who got his head blown off and that cop has to go in there and he's got to assess the situation and he sees the, the guy's brains all over the car because he committed suicide. They don't see a lot of the things that go on that the cops have to deal with. So, and I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of people, whether police officers or, um, I'm not going to say a lot of people, but I've seen situations where both the people that have been in uh, military who've been in wartime situations end up with PTSD. It's not different with cops either. With all of the stuff that they deal with, cops can, can end up with PTSD as well. And I'm not saying that to excuse any kind of bad behavior because it was the, the murder of, of anybody is bad is bad it doesn't this it's horrible when a cop kills somebody and and does it has that malicious intent that's horrible and the the good cops that are there don't want those bad cops in law enforcement they don't want those bad cops there they want to get rid of them just as much as anybody else does most of them are there to do good most of them are there to protect people I think my fear is that we're starting to see the first stages of anarchy. The first stages of watching traditional policing as we know it uh, 
um, start to disintegrate. And if we see this long term, we see this from a distance. My fear is that it's going to be almost like the purge. Um, if you if, if for those of you who haven't seen those movies, um, I believe it's four of them now. But the purge is deals with a lawless society that once a year has a 24 hour moratorium on all laws and um yeah. all crimes I've seen it. Yeah. And, and the thing is is that it was the elite's way of actually um culling the herd so to speak of population control of letting people do what they want to do for 24 hours without repercussion and to me there is no way in no in any possible planet that this would be acceptable in society but if you pay attention to what the politicians are saying and doing that's exactly where this is going this has nothing to do with race relations this has everything to no. do with destroying the society as we know it from the ground up this country was based upon rules and on societal societal respect. If we can divide and conquer and not just divide between the color, not just the uh, divide between the sexes, but also to divide between institutions. In other words, us against the church, us against the police, us against the political establishment. And therefore, we can make people stay in line. Then the elites that can tell us what they're trying, you know, what to do and not to do, when they can do it, all of that. What bothers me is the fact that for whatever unknown reason, no one else is seeing this. Now, I may be wrong. I may be completely blind. I may even be completely stupid. But at no point am I seeing anybody else speaking up on this. They're looking at the immediate thing, the immediate carrot right hanging in front of them, but not looking at the stick about to come around and hit them on the backside. Or maybe it's okay. just me. Maybe it's just me. But my thing is right now, if we're really worried about... Uh, worried about race relations i think we need to do it at a not necessarily at a religious level which i agree with you though that needs to be done but i also believe that it needs to be done from a from a uh sociology sociological level in other words i think we need to really really make an infusement infusing investment into our lower income neighborhoods and 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 put this in mind that this isn't just about uh this isn't just about black and white i i think our i think our poor 10 percent is is the ones we really need to look at we know the war on poverty both the 1969 version with um lbj 
and then in the 2015 version with Barack Obama were both not only just failures, but they were just laws so that you could turn and vote Democratic. And and for this particular walkthrough, I want to make absolutely clear that I'm not pushing any particular side, any particular narrative. But what I'm what I'm going to say is this. We need to look at it from an educational standpoint. We need to look at it from a job standpoint. We need to look at it from a uh, government benefit standpoint. We need to look at it from a food standpoint. We need to be able to, whether it is through the church, through government programs, we need to figure out ways to bridge the gap between those that have and those that don't. Now, I know there's a percentage of the population that's not going to get up and go to work. We know there's a percentage of the population that's not going to get up and do anything. But if we can figure out some way, somehow, to get people to step up and help, I think we can do it. If Dolly Parton could figure out a way to make sure that every single child in the state of Tennessee got a book from birth to age five, surely, somehow, we could do that on a national level, even if it's through 50 separate foundations. Well, I think I think part of where it needs to start is that if you think about the poorer neighborhoods, the poorer neighborhoods don't get the same education as some that do in, you know, middle income neighborhoods or higher income neighborhoods. So if you that's I think, in my opinion, that's where we need to start. We need to make sure that um, the neighborhoods are safe. So that teachers would want to go into those neighborhoods and teach these kids and even to the point where maybe giving them extra compensation for going into maybe an at-risk neighborhood where there's maybe drugs or violence or whatever um, we need to do something to make the neighborhood the poor neighborhood safe educate the kids but not just educate them and give them the book stuff we also need to educate them and get counselors in there that can deal with some of the some of the domestic violence situations that go on in a lot of the poorer neighborhoods. Get get a therapist in there um, for the children who are dealing with that kind of stuff that grow up in it every day. Educating the wives um, of of some of the, the in the domestic violence situations and helping them to get out of those situations in a safe way because a lot of women that are in domestic violence situations are too afraid to leave. They're too afraid to leave believing that that guy's going to follow them and they're going to find them and they're going to kill them. And so they end up staying. And so we need to start at the kids' level and, at the, and into the relationships that they're in and clean that up. That needs to get cleaned up. If you want to get somebody out of poverty, they need to have an education and they need to get a better paying job. It's available for everybody, but in the poor neighborhoods, the teachers, the teachers don't want to go there because they don't feel safe. 
I think education is where it needs to be. And, and the second thing I think needs to happen is people need to be aware of what's really going on with, and I'm going to throw politics in here, with, on both sides of the aisle. When they're wrong, whether it's Republicans or Democrats or independents or socialists or whatever, check it out. Make sure you know what they think, what they're talking about. Make sure that you know what is really going on. One example is the when the um, when the um, when Congress wore those African scarves. That was the most. That in was the sad. Supposedly oh. in solidarity. They couldn't have been. So, they couldn't show solidarity if it came and gave them a spelling quiz. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so but but a lot of people didn't realize it, myself included, until I saw. Well, until I read it in the news, I didn't. I would not have known that those scarves were actually originally worn by somebody who actually was involved in slave trade. I would never have known that. Well, you know, the it looks like it just looks like a colorful scarf to me. Well, the thing is, is that, and and I know I'm going to get some flack for this, but the thing that really just aggravated me was the fact that that African scarf, that African uh, piece of clothing, had nothing to do with George Floyd, had nothing to do with police brutality, had nothing to do with Rayshawn Brooks, had nothing to do with with. You know, with any of the people who have who have uh, died at the hands of police brutality, and yet they turned this into a black and white thing. Yet there were only three black people there. So what yeah. really just angered me was the fact of where was the Congressional Black Caucus? Why weren't they there? There's one black person in the Senate. On the Republican side, you didn't invite him for solidarity. I didn't see Kamala Harris. I didn't see uh, Mr. Booker from the Senate. Mm -hmm. This is what you this is this. This is the point where you just look up and you just go. The photo ops need to stop. And I said this and I said this in my church message tonight. That if you have been voting for the same people over and over and over and over again, and they're not doing anything different, and your situation has not changed, the, the issue isn't them. The issue is you. Because if you are doing the same thing over and over and over again, and you are expecting a different outcome, and that outcome has not changed, that is by definition insanity mm-hmm. so if that is by definition insanity who's the person that's insane the politicians or you and i've and i to i submit that for too many of us that person has been us the one in the mirror i you know trump said give me a chance and he's done some things that i really really agree with there's some things he's done I'm not too thrilled about, but we're not going to get into that tonight. But my thing about it is this, is that at one point or another, and this is going to actually fall into how we wrap the show up tonight, but it's about voting. And to me, it's about being educated about who's running for office, what they stand for, 
and how they voted. If you're voting for the incumbent, figure out what they have put out there. What are they voting for? What do they stand for? If they haven't given you given you a satisfactory answer, don't vote for them. Vote for their opponent. If their opponent doesn't give you a satisfactory answer, then guess what? Then do a write-in vote. But voice your opposition. Voice your unhappiness. That's why too many people have died for black people to get the vote, the right to vote in 1968. Just what it is. Too many people have been beaten and died for women to get the right to vote in 1919. And yet less than 20% of us vote in primaries. That's ridiculous. And a lot of people, a lot of people vote based on their party, not based on who is the best person for the country. So, and I was having this conversation with somebody, I don't remember who, but actually, yeah, um, it was my son. But, and he said to me, I'm going to vote for whoever is best for our country. I'm not going to vote based on party. I'm going to vote based on whoever is going to do the best job to run the country. And that said a lot to me because that's really what we need to do. Not vote based on party, but vote based on who's going to be the best person for the job. We have to look at it as sort of an interview. What what exactly do you, what, what do you want to do? Where do you want this country to go in the next four years? Where do you want it to go? What do you want to accomplish? Right. What is their history? What have they done in the past? We have to basically look at it as an interview and decide, okay, what are you going to do for this country? And if you look back on the things that both Trump and Obama did, Obama, I, you know, I didn't vote for Obama, but I really was, I prayed for him and I was hoping that he was going to do a good job, that he was going to do something good for the country and for, and, for, and for black people as well. But he didn't do anything in Chicago. And I believe that's where he's from. That is correct. But he didn't do anything for them. He didn't do anything for much of anybody. And unfortunately for, for me, I, I just have to call, I, I'm just going to call it for what it is. But, you know, he was in office for eight years and everybody, you know, there was enough white guilt to go around where he was able to beat, you know, a very uh, humiliating Mitt Romney. And um, I forgot who he went went up against in the first one. Um, At this point, it didn't matter. But, you know, he did nothing. I think the greatest thing, the greatest claim to fame other than Obamacare was that he gave away free cell phones to those on food stamps. That was it. That that's yeah. his two greatest claims to fame, um, and and the apology tour. The apology tour irritated me because yeah. we were not that far away from nine eleven, and and right. for to have somebody who apologized for our ability to be a great country was sickening to me. It, it's just nauseating. Yeah. That's like right. saying the Chicago Bulls um, having the two three-peats come out and apologize for being good and then saying we're going to dismantle the team so that the NBA can be more fair next year. 
that's like the New England Patriots coming out after winning six Super Bowls and saying, you know what, we're going to trade Tom Brady. We're going to dismantle the team because we've just, you know, we've won 16 of the last 17 AFC East division titles and we're just being completely unfair to the rest of the league we're, we're just going to break the team up so we can be more fair no that's not what you that's do ridiculous. exactly i know nothing about sports whatsoever but that sounds ridiculous well you know a lot of a lot of the people who listen are uh understand where i'm going with that so that's no problem <laughs> So, so well, it, I think I think where we need to start is we need to start a ha- we need to start with having a conversation and setting aside the color of our skin. Put that aside and just sit down and have a conversation because and you and I talked earlier and calling reducing humankind, human beings Regardless of regardless of their racial ethnicity, regardless of where they're from, reducing human beings to the color of their skin is diminishing, regardless of what side you're on or where you come from. And we need to put that aside and just have a dialogue and just have a conversation just to say, hey, you know, I'm not, I don't have anything against you, whatever. Just start a conversation. Well, let me respectfully start a conversation. Well, let me ask you this then. So, if you we were talking earlier and you said something about the education part, how mm-hmm. would you go? How would you if 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 let's say for instance, unlike Elizabeth Warren, you're a little bit older than nine years old. Let's. I'm sorry. I had to throw that. I had to throw that in there. Um. If you were Secretary of Education, how would you address the disparity? Because if I remember correctly, there were, um, I think there was a story that came out that said 80% of children, of, of minority children in Chicago could not and did not pass standard math. In other words, they could not pass simple math at their particular grade level. I think in New York, it was somewhere in the 70s, in the 70 percent. How would we how do we do this without going? I mean, do you do we go school for school? Do we do it on a do we do it on a. uh, county by county basis or or system by system how do we do this well i'm not really in the in the educational field but just kind of spitballing for a little bit i think that we need to we need to go to each of the schools individually i think we need to go to the schools individually we need to find out who the teachers are and I'm a big proponent of testing teachers, and I know that really goes against a lot of the people that are teachers, um, but I do believe that we need to test the teachers to find out what, where they are um, and if there needs to be any additional education for the teachers in order for them to teach effectively. So, um, and I think that further education should be 
um, they should be able to do that uh, for free, especially I think compensation, things like furthering ed their education, furthering the teacher's education um, so that they can teach, it should be free. I think that would help them to be able to further their own careers as well as give them the ability to teach the kids that are in the, in the lower income schools. Um, but I do think it has to go school to school and teacher to teacher. I think we need to find out what's going on there. Um, I think the first thing um, would be to do an assessment of the schools in those areas. And that means, in my mind, it means, it means top down. Who's running the school? How are they running the school? What is their philosophy? What exactly are they doing in that school to better the kids, to make sure that those kids are getting the education they need? Or if they need counseling, what are they doing to get those kids the counseling that they need? Um, and I think each of the schools has, should have also one or two counselors so that they can effectively minister and, and counsel those, those students that might be struggling in different areas, whether it's at home, uh, whether they're being bullied, that's another situation that needs to be addressed as well, and, and the fact that a lot of kids are getting bullied in grade school. So I think there's a lot that needs to be done, and um, I think that's where we need to start. Let me ask. Let me ask you this question now. In your profession, you have to. Do you have to take continuing, uh, continuing education? Yes. In my profession. Um, doing taxes and and in bookkeeping, we have to take continuing education. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be licensed. Uh, most states I don't, but in some states I do. My question is this: If teachers are, and I know they are, I know many of them do take continuing education, and many of them are licensed. My question is this, in, in any other situation, if you're a horrible employee, your employer will fire you, right? If you are a horrible employee and you show consistent horrible employee traits, they will fire you. Are the mm -hmm. unions too, and I know this is outside your expertise, but I'm asking, since you're already here, Asking on um, from an opinionated standpoint, are the unions too big? You know, we we see the problem with cops that the top that the bottom five percent of cops account for I think it's forty percent, forty or fifty percent of all the complaints against cops, and it looks like the bottom the bottom level of teachers account for the majority of issues with teachers. Are we just at that point where we just need to start doing mass firings? You know, I've seen, I, I, there was a situation in Knoxville a few years ago where a new principal walked in. The school was failing. It was two steps away from being taken over by the state. The principal walked in and fired every teacher. Every single one of them, gone, down to the janitor. Mm -hmm. Even the janitor was gone. Because she wanted, she wanted a new direction, a new vision. Everybody had to be on the same page, and they weren't bringing any of the old stuff. The school turned around and became one of the county's best schools. Are we at that point where we need to maybe start considering getting rid, just automatically getting rid of people for poor performance, especially if there's a track record of it, 
and then starting anew? Or is it something where we just need to stop and wait until after maybe have to get more data in or maybe get get people light a fire under somebody's butt? Well, I think that in order to fire anybody, you need to have a right. You need to have um, a, a written record of what's going on. So um, anytime you are meet with somebody, for example, if I'm a principal and I meet with the teachers to do their annual reviews or quarterly reviews or whatever it is, um, you you have to go in there and say, you know, find out where they're failing. Why are they poor teachers? What's going on? Is it, like I said, is it something they need to be further educated? Do they just not care? Um, what, what exactly is going on? And then based on that, they have to have write-ups. So you have a teacher's union. So I don't know whether teachers actually have to have continue do continuing education in order to keep their license. My guess is they probably don't, but I don't know for sure. Well, um, but I do know I'm not a teacher. <laughs> I'm I'm going to be having I, my master's is in is in professional counseling, but I could go to school for a few weeks. I think it's eight weeks, and I could get a certification as a teacher and go teach. Well, without a degree. But here's here's the thing that worries me. For every year that we that we that we uh, dally around is another year of students who are missing the mark, another year of students who are not going to be on the same level as everyone else. Another number of students who are who are just for one reason or another just not being treated right. Or just not, you know, they're just being left behind. And my thing right. is, is that at this point, we're going to have generations of people who have been left behind. And and, and unfortunately, right. groups like Black Lives Matter are correct when they say, hey, guess what? This is, um, you know, this is what we're talking about. You know, we have teachers who don't care. We have we have a, a a school system that doesn't care about us, and because of that, they're not doing anything to help us move forward. And this is why we're still behind. So my thing is, is that at, at one point or another, so, you know, especially if we have track record, if we have if we have over and over and over and over and over. We see this. I mean, we had in Atlanta a few years ago the biggest cheating scandal ever where teachers got together and changed the the their statewide testing answers of some of their own students. Right, some, to, get, to get the funding, to, so they no, could get their money. Well, so to get bonuses. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so if we, I, I think you and I did talk about this like a year, a couple years ago. But my thing is, is that if we are looking at this, this is that situation where you are literally going to the point where enough's enough. We have to be, we have to take this to the next level because if we don't, we run the risk of having another group, another generation of kids who are not educated and this isn't just black kids. I'm I'm talking. I was going to say the same thing. It's not just black kids. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at rural rural areas. I'm looking at I'm looking at at white kids who who are being treated like they're black and I know some that have been. 
what do we need to do in order to fix this? I think that the sad part is with this is that we lose a little bit more ground every day that we have in action. We do. I, I agree with that. We absolutely do. And and yeah, like I was going to say, it isn't it isn't a black or white thing. It's 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 a poor thing. It's it's the people that are poor. And I'm and what I do as a counselor, I that's what I see. Most of the people that I see in our facility are people who are living on the street. They're homeless. They have no place to live. They don't have food. Some of the women end up using methamphetamine because they're on the street and they're afraid if they fall asleep somebody is going to attack them because they are living on the street and they don't have any protection so that's what i see a lot of and what i see a lot of coming into our facility most of them are hispanic of the hispanic community most of them some some are white some are black some are um, asian most of them very few are asian but most of them are from the Hispanic communities and they are very, very poor and they grew up poor and their families were dysfunctional. They've grown up with, with, um, in domestic violence situations where their parents were fighting. So this is what I see a lot of, and they're, and they're bringing their kids. These women are bringing their kids into treatment with them and their kids. Some of them don't even know how to talk two and three years old and they don't even know how to talk. So it's it's a poor thing. It has nothing to do with the color of anybody's skin. It has to do with the fact that they are in these poor communities and nothing is going on to help them and lift them up out of the out of the poverty that they're in. I'm glad you put it in those ways and, and in those terms and I think that allows us to um end the show on two positive notes on number one i think that um we are we're going to be able i hope people see this not as a black and white issue but i hope they see this as a poverty issue and that Mm -hmm. we are going to be judged by how we treat our elderly and our poor and as much and and right now the way our poor has been treated has been dreadful and so I think I think hopefully this is a wake up sign, a wake up call. I know on a national level we're not going to we're not going to see it for a while because the guys we have people with bullhorns on both sides who are yelling at each other and we're just caught in the middle with our fingers in our ears. But I hope people right. see this over time, and and to tie it all together, I want you guys um, who are listening. I want you to think about how how can you make a difference in your community, even if it's on, um, even if it's on on a small level, you know, think big. But let's just let's see what happens. But you know, maybe it's something where you guys can submit um, ideas, and let's see what we can do to try to put something together in different communities so that we can start attacking the problem. Because I really do believe this. When people think you are an animal, they're going to treat you as such. And I believe that if we improve our neighborhoods, if we improve our education, if we improve some of the things that we're doing, 
and we can transpose that feeling onto others, then I think we're going to we're going to make this a huge success in our neighborhoods, revitalizing our inner cities and making better, more productive citizens and, and, and employees for down the line. How do we start with this? You start on Tuesday. Now, I know some of you guys who are listening in other states have already had your state primaries. I know California has not had theirs as of yet, may not even have it at all. But here in Kentucky and several other states on Tuesday, we're having our primaries as we get ready for November. If you are registered to vote, please, please, please consider voting. If you are not part of the solution, if you're not choosing who you want, you are going to be standing on the outside of the gates waiting on somebody to give you the consequences of your inaction. We need to vote. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, independent or progressive, socialist, communist, purple, whatever. I want you guys to vote on Tuesday. If you're not registered to vote, go by your local election election uh, office and register to vote for November. Your vote, you think your vote may not count. Let me explain this to you. President Trump won the national election by 88,000 votes spread out over five states. In other words, had people who had decided to stay home got up and voted, his margin of victory would either have been larger or smaller. It's the electoral college. And the electoral college is the what decides the president of the United States, not the not the the populist vote, not some edict from somebody on high. And God is not going to strike us down if we don't vote his way. But vote. Too many people died. Too many people fought for your right to vote. If our forefathers, my forefathers, Tracy's forefathers, your forefathers hadn't fought in World War II. Many of us wouldn't be here today. If you weren't German by birth or with a German background, you would have been put on a train. If you were black, you would have been put on a train. If you didn't sound right or looked right, you would have been put on a train. Remember Jesse Owens, one of the greatest Olympians ever? He went to Berlin in 1936 and embarrassed the entire German Olympic team. Do you think if Germany had won the war, he would have forgotten that? If it wasn't for the people who laid down their lives, both black and white, To make sure that the red, white, and blue flag that we should be saluting today waves continuously free. We would be speaking another language right now. We have problems in this country. Every country has problems. But those people would give body parts to be here. 
And I understand that sometimes people don't like each other for the color of their skin. I've been there. I could tell you stories and one day I may even do an episode on it. But let's just be blunt. Somebody would love to take your place right now. Because this is a great country. We have our flaws. But we are all in this together. We all have responsibility here. We were raised on the idea of community. I don't want to quote Hillary Clinton, but she did a book called It Takes a Village. And when she wrote that book, even though that wasn't the focus of the book, the name stuck because everybody understands we all have to participate. We all have to be a part of this because if we don't do this, Who's going to do it? If we don't do this, who's going to be there? And just keep looking around you. That person with the multicolored hair, that person with the tattoos all over themselves, that purpose with the earrings and the body piercings, maybe the person wiping your butt in 40 years when you get old like me. So keep in mind When you keep thinking that there's not a problem, when you keep thinking on the idea that you don't have to participate, that you have no skin in the game when it comes to what happens in the inner city, keep in mind this. There's more people there nationwide than what you think. And those people one day are going to rise up and be in power in one way or another. And when that happens... Will the decisions that they make be because of, the, of your inaction today? Get up and vote. Be a part of your community. Find a way to fill the void. Find a way to be a member of society. We're going to start exploring this in other ways, and I'm going to bring some other people on. I'm going to bring my pastor back, and I'm going to try to get a couple of other people. We're going to not only talk about race, excuse me, but we're also going to talk about doing this from this perception of poverty and how goal setting affects the poverty. And we're going to try to find ways and even try to put it in action, but try to find ways to fix it. So, guys, hang with us. We're going to have a little bit of fun with this. We are going to finish going back through our second second quarter stuff before we get into third quarter. So those are the next episodes that are coming up. So bear with us as we're going through this. You know, we had a plan on what we were going to do this year. But between COVID, between the between the cop shootings, the racial unrest, all of this insanity, you have to be flexible. But we're being flexible because we we love you and we want you all to thrive. God did not put us on this earth to sit around and stew. He put us on this earth to thrive. So when you see people in Seattle sitting on their butt, getting high and drinking, that's not what God had in store for us. He wanted us to be prosperous. He wanted us to be to be to multiply, not just with children, but with our resources to multiply with what our what God gave us in gifts. And so that is what we're going to try to do.
and we're going to try to create a forum so you guys can participate as well. So if you have ideas, if you have thoughts, if you have opinions, keep sending them in to me. That might get you on the show. So I want to thank my best friend Tracy for being on the show again. I know I'm going to have you back soon. And I want to thank you guys for listening. And we hope you have a wonderful Father's Day on Sunday. Don't forget to vote next Tuesday. And we'll see you on the flip side. Bye.